in all 92 clubs, I'm the only person of Asian heritage, male or female. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Our Game 2 podcast. There are more British Asians playing football and being involved in football than you would think. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on episode two as we speak to Manisha Taylor. First, Kevil, how are you doing? You okay? Yes, I'm very good, mate. Very, very good. And yourself? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. Since we last spoke, a couple of things happening in the world. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw, due to the whole Jacob Blake shooting in America, several of the NBA teams basically withdrawn or refused to play, etc. Did you did you see that? I did, yeah. I think that news came out yesterday evening. They were due to play in a uh, playoff match. Um, I think it was game five, actually. I, I do follow a bit of N- uh, NBA basketball. It's a, it's a positive stand um, on a political level for what they believe in. I think, you know, if um, the, the majority of the NBA is comprised of uh, black black athletes. 74% so of them are black. Yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me. I think what's going on in America, they obviously have a very different um, approach to what's been going on in the UK. Um, and things are far more extreme over there than they are here. But I think it's nice to see that athletes are taking an active involvement in you know, kind of social justice and politics as well. So, um, you know, fair play to them for standing up for what they believe in. And continuing as well, not just starting. I remember there was a, an issue, I can't remember what the issue was, a few months ago where Stan Collymore sort of said, yes, there's been an uproar, what happens tomorrow? And mm. news as it happens the next day, there's no more news of it. But it's not just the NBA, it's the MLB, the MLS as well. Also, interestingly, Naomi Osaka, who she has been a tennis number one. I don't think she's at the moment. I think she's about six or seven now. She pulled out of her semi-final again, just to saying she's going to give focus to what's happening in the world, in society at the moment, rather than focusing on tennis. So, yep, change is happening. Protests happening. It's good to see, I think, that it's been kept on the agenda. I mean, it's it's a catch. It's a catch twenty two. Sorry, mate. It's it's a catch twenty two. I mean, you you obviously want focus on on the issues at hand, but also as well, sports almost the greatest distraction away from all the world's problems as well. So, based on both of those viewpoints, you can look at it from either side. But I think it's really good what's going on. I mean, we're really bringing to light a lot of uh, issues within the world which do need sorting. Okay. Something else that happened yesterday was Sky Sports announced that they're letting go of some of their presenters. Um, Letitia, Phil Thompson, Charlie Nicholas. Mm. Looking through the tweets, I saw it cause a bit of an uproar. Now there's one particular tweet that caught my eye and I'll read it out to you. Filling ethnic and gender quotas is exactly what BAME and female individuals don't want jobs based on why are sky sports doing this the pundit team on soccer saturday has been iconic for years and now you want to change things so suddenly hashtag no to positive action do you recognize that tweet trip kevil no it doesn't ring a bell mate it doesn't <laughs> ring a bell <laughs> I, I i've i've always felt quite passionate about about the kind of quotas and tokenistic gestures of BAME inclusion in in sport or in in sport involvement Um, and I I only say that from my personal experience where I wouldn't want my competency in any role to be undermined by the fact 
that an organizational club is just hiring me based on the fact of my race. Do I think there needs to be more inclusion of BAME and, and, and women in sport? or in men's sport in general, absolutely. But do I think filling quotas, which this seems to be the way that it's been driven, I, I don't feel like that's the right way forward because it's almost undermining our competency. It's not going to be bad for, for BAME and, and, and for women individuals, but it's, it's undermining to have the positions put forward in that way, if that's the way that it's occurred. BAME people, women in sports, especially in football, have been overlooked many times in the past is this a redress that's required positive action it's almost using discrimination to account for what's previously happened and i I don't think that's the right way forward i mean competence should always be the driving force i feel like this is just based on my opinion this is not factually driven obviously but just on my opinion if we're if we're filling quotas just based on on race quotas or or gender quotas we're sending a dangerous message out there. It should be based on competence. Now, if if they're giving the role to Alex Scott or to other individuals who have been, you know, who have been suggested for these roles based on competence, absolutely, I'm all for it. But they haven't given a reason as to why they've sacked or got rid of the individuals that were previously there. And that's the part that worries me, not so much the point that they've replaced them. Okay, overall, the bigger picture. Up until now, historically, in terms of British TV, football, it's been predominantly white pundits. Mm, yeah. And, and the black ones, they are there. But they've been marginalised to a degree. I know Ian Wright has spoken previously about the fact yeah. that when he went with the BBC to the World Cup, etc., he was the last one asked. He was pressure to give a jokey comment and his views were not taken seriously we already know there's been a huge well there's been generations of black black players and potential coaches that have been lost to the game because they don't see a pathway so if these guys are replaced by Alex Scott or Micah Richards as some of the talk has been has been about do you not think that's an opportunity for them to be more, more role models and for people to see a path into that in the future so i guess the question i'm asking is are you saying it's a a blanket no to any kind of positive discrimination or is there a spectrum we can allow a little bit as long as it's based on competency and meritocracy i think i think it's i think you've covered all bases there i mean you can have it on both parts you can have it based on competence and you know but at the same time there needs to be a level of understanding here so are we simply going to overthrow you know employment structures just based on the fact that we haven't got enough representation or actually are we going to do it in a way where competence is going to be the driving factor of who gets these roles i mean i've, I've listened to michael richard speak and he's a more than competent person to to host soccer saturday he's got a very very good personality great sense of humor and i wouldn't see a problem with him doing the role and i think he'd actually be very very good at it but do i think it's right that the individuals who are currently in those roles be replaced in order to fulfill these quotas, I think that's what you call the blanket term of using positive action to account for previous levels of discrimination. And I don't think that part of it's right. At the same time, the world the world's changing. My views might be outdated. If this is going to bring to light the fact that there are certain employment biases, et cetera, et cetera, then I think that that could only be a good thing. We shall see how this plays out, because I think as, as of this moment, there is no definitive statement from Sky as to who's replacing these guys. OK, so I think this would be a good time to bring in 
our guest for this week. So she's not just one of the most prominent faces for women in sport and women in football, but actually one of the most prominent faces for Asians in football generally as well. She currently works for QPR. She's been involved with the FA and Kick It Out as well. In 2013, she won the Women in Football Award by the Asian Football Awards. 2017, she was the Champion of Sport at the Champion of Women Awards. And also in 2017, she was awarded an MBE, the Order of the British Empire. Manisha Taylor, welcome. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. How are you doing today? Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, really good. We're excited. You are our, our first guest and I'm genuinely saying this. I've, I know a little bit about your story. What's your main role at the moment? Um, I work at QPR's Academy as lead foundation phase and that, that involves really it's overseeing the age groups that fall within that phase, so the 9s, 10s and 11s. I also coach a YDP group which is in the youth development phase so I was working with the under 13s for the last couple of seasons now of course things change I have kind of I take a couple of teams as opposed to just one team but that's the beauty of working in a smaller club it's you engulf a number of responsibilities and I'm quite fortunate that I've got Chris Ramsey for those who don't know is just renowned to be one of the best coach developers and people developers uh, that there is so he works to people's strengths, just like we would do with the players. And fortunately for me, from my previous background, my, my roles evolved where I have responsibilities allowing me to gain experiences of more op operations and, and things that cover both phases, so 9s to 16s, as opposed to just the 9s to 11s, which, which is great for me with regards to, I guess my own self-development and where I want to be with, with my ambitions. Fantastic. So could you just explain a little bit more about what your role actually entails? Perhaps, I know with COVID and everything else, nothing's normal at the moment. But if you had to go back a normal day or perhaps a normal week, what sort of things would, would your role encompass? So, and this is just based on the fact that it, this would just be, say, just. But um, so I've also got a company and I do a number of roles within the company so this was if it was just based on my QPR role it could be anything from going in at 10 10 30 a.m but that's that could be because for example so I'm also on the A license so it could be because you know I, I want to watch the under 18s or I want to watch a 23 session or uh, there's a meeting or or Chris has asked you know uh, can you come in so, so we can we could do some work so it it could be I'm in at 10, again, like I said, that might involve me watching a couple of the age groups, it might involve meetings. The bar majority of my job would be admin. People who are in professional football will know that actually jobs like mine, where you're overseeing a phase, it's a lot more admin than it is coaching because you work with the schoolboys and the schoolboys are in in the evening. A lot of my role in the day would be admin, but because my responsibilities have evolved, that could be anything from for me now that could be anything from for example assisting chris with 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 the planning and looking at our practices to watching the games back on huddle for my own age group and the, and the age groups that, that i'm responsible for so to, to meetings with parents to sorting out id cards for, for coaches and, and and whole you know whole academy cpd just because of the nature of my job and then in the evening, it'd be working with work, working with the schoolboys, and then the session finishes. Well, we do player reviews for each player, and to write up my notes, do the attendance on our 
on our central system probably get home at about half nine um, and then you pretty much go again the next day long day okay one of the things that I think is fascinating is your journey into football because I think most people would think that people start off in football and that's their career for all their lives yours is completely different so start wherever you like do you want to tell us your journey from as I said whenever up and how you ended up finally at QPR yeah so I've always loved football since I since I was a child but I grew up in a time where there were very few girls playing football and then coming from a South Asian background you were even more of a minority so I soon realized that being a player was not going to be in my career pathway simply because there are a real lack of opportunities for girls very different now and the way that the women's football looks now and the structure didn't exist uh, when I was growing up. Played at school. Um, I did actually, I got, went, went on trial to Barnet, which is my local, local club with my best friend Jenna. And I got in, but you know, it, when I then told my mum that, oh, you know, yeah, I, I've got in. And it, that was that really. It was a responsibility of having to also take me on a weekend. There was also my brother. And for my mum, playing at school meant that there was a connection with school and education, whereas playing outside of school and now having to take me to, to a, a football club as a girl and as an Asian young girl. For her, it was very much about what the community would say and perceptions purely based on stereotypes that existed uh, at that time. I was nine. So we're looking at, so that would be 1989. So at that, you know, early 80s, it, you hardly had that many Asian girls playing. You didn't see many Asian girls playing. You know, we talk about visibility. I think in one respect, visibility is important because you need to be able to see people in those jobs or doing those things for you to, for you to be inspired. So I soon realised, like I said, that a playing career wasn't going to be in my, in my pathway. And then just played recreational football, really. I found a love as I grew older for working with young people through me doing child development GCSE. I went into teachers I did a BA in education did, did my did my QTS and found that when I was teaching in primary schools there was a real lack of provision for sporting activities and I didn't have my coaching badges at that time so just thought you know I don't mind doing something with, with the kids at lunchtime and I wouldn't say that I had all these drills planned and things like that it was just very much I, I really enjoyed football I know that the kids wanted some, some form of provision and you know I spoke to the head teacher and and it kind of went from there because I was in full-time education for 10 years in the different schools I worked in I found it was pretty much the same although it evolved in the latter part of my teaching career where there was a lot more funding there was some funding being ring fence which meant that there was more provision for, for physical activity in schools which was which was good. At that time, if you don't mind me asking, did you find there was a difference in both participation and support from whether it's financial or whether it's from teachers, parents, etc., between the boys and the girls? Or any was there any distinction? I think that was because of the fact that I worked one of the schools I worked in. Well, in fact, the majority of the schools I worked in were in a demographic where it's very diverse. So the, the initially, I just started off with a team, and there were a couple of girls but the bar majority were boys. And then what I did was try and do it where there were just girls, but it, it, it was really difficult because you're talking about a time, again, where girls and women's football was just starting to evolve. So there was a reluctance so, and a, a resistance from, from some parents purely based on the fact that it was 
I guess, in some respect, new to them. And then there's also considerations around when you're working with children from different minority groups, considering contributing factors, you know, with regards to engagement. In the early 2000s, there was a real lack of provision for girls to play football. But generally, I found in the schools that I worked in, a lack of activities that related to sport that were extracurricular. So for me, it was just the love of football drew me to creating after-school clubs, lunchtime clubs. And then in, in one of my roles, it was liaising with external agencies. So Rachel Yankee's Football for Programme, for instance, being one of them. Uh, we also neighboured Wembley Stadium. So it was linking up with Wembley Learning Zone, using education, in particular numeracy and literacy, and, and football as a tool for helping children with, with their learning in some of those core subjects. And my, my whole, uh, say, purpose around taking a career change, which came in 2011, was driven by my, my brother. Because when we were 18, uh, due to... This is your a series of Yeah, my dear, yeah. So, it, you know, it, when we were 18, you know, he, he went through a really tough time at school. And as a result of that, and as a result of trauma, uh, developed mental health. And his condition's really unique. So 22 years on, we, we went through a whole period, though, of like where he, it was depression and it was schizophrenia. And there's a whole spectrum to, 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 to that also. He was sectioned, you know, he, he, was, he was really violent. There was numerous suicide attempts. You're, you know, you're young and my sister was only five at the time. So you're, you're trying to manage something that you've never managed before. And also bearing in mind that you're, you're now also trying to embark upon your career. It, all, it happened at a similar time of me going through uni. You needed something to channel your frustrations and how you were feeling. And for me, that became work. And then through work, that also then became football. So what I was able to do was in a short space of time, so say short, so ten, in 10 years, I had numerous senior leadership roles. I became an assistant head. I was a deputy, a trainee head, and passed my, my headship traineeship and was almost ready at 31. And I wouldn't say necessarily emotionally ready, but by qualification, ready to, to, to go and lead my own school. And I wanted football and sport to be a big part of that. Now, through that process, I'd also attain my level one and my level two coaching badge. So it, when the career change happened, again, in, in my head, I still had, you know, I was thinking about my brother and why, what inspired me to do, to do, to do this in the first place. And it was pretty much circumstance because I was also doing my master's in leadership and my mum had a triple heart bypass. And my, with my brother's care, it's, it's one-to-one. So there was too much going on. When, when I came out of full-time education, people who I'd connected with before were, were aware of that. And then voluntary opportunities came up some paid but not as many and it was pretty much so for example one of them was on Rachel Yankee's football program doing the PPA cover where you'd go into different schools and you'd teach basketball you'd you know teach football which was which was good from the respect of I'm now on the other side because I was used to being the one who was liaising with these agencies and getting them into the schools whereas now I was the one that was going into the schools doing one-to-one tuition, supply teaching, with the view that in a school term, I'd go back in and either as a deputy or have, have my own school maybe. But that, that didn't happen. And again, I go back to, go back to my, my purpose. Something just drew me to 
continuing to pursue something in, in, in football. And I didn't know initially what that was at that time, whether it be education or coaching. But I always went back to my brother and I found that football allowed me to reconnect with his illness and what was, what was happening. And it also allowed me to channel how I was feeling about it. So that then led me to set up my company. And I first of all started off with a mental health and disability program for, for adults within my local community, linking up with a with Wingate and Finchley, my local non-league club. That then led on to also working with the FA and show racism, the red card and kick it out, delivering equality education. And what helped was having experience and background within that field. You know, I taught for 10 years. I, I had experiences of working across different schools. So I've worked in the private sector and special in schools that have been in special measures, schools with an executive head, schools that, you know, schools that are in the state sector. And, and having that allowed me to be able to transfer skill set into another context. So I, I worked in grassroots football for a long time with many different organisations. Got my UEFA B in 2015. That I didn't work in a pro club to do that. I was at FC Leytonstone, was volunteering there with their under 16 boys, was at Middlesex at the Girl Centre of Excellence. Volunteered initially before I got the role there. Um, started off in the development centre, was then head coach in the main centre. And then in my, in my last season there was centre manager. And while I was doing this, I didn't ever think that I would work in a pro club. And one of the main reasons for that is because you just, you don't think it's possible. I was unfamiliar with the pro game, didn't really know how I would, could even have an opportunity to set, in, set a foot in through the door to see what it's like. So at that time, what, you, you'd done the UA for B licence. Did you have any particular goals or? So in terms of ambitions, you mean? My, my the, the reason for doing the B license then was that I felt it would be in my own learning the next part of my journey. But I also recognised that if I wanted to work in the elite game, so that could have been women's football also, that it, it would be a prerequisite. So I did my my level two was in 2010. So I you know I, I like to think that, that I did my time. It wasn't a case of I did my level two and then straight went on to the UA for B. I made sure I tried to gain a range of experiences in, in, in the five years between, between those qualifications. And it was just the next part of my learning and development, but also I understood that if I wanted to further my career in coaching, it would be a bare minimum. And before QPR, I was actively looking at regional talent club roles because Middlesex were folding. And it was just coincidence that I happened to meet Chris Ramsey at an event again. So I met him in 2014, connected with him again in 2016 at Troy Townsend's Kick It Out event because we were both mentoring. Like I said, at the time, Middlesex were folding. It was, it was almost, it was timing and I had my B. When he asked me, what are you up to now? It was a case of, I don't have any jobs, but if you've got, you've got your B licence, you can come in and volunteer. And that was that. I was there all the time. I'd be there at 10 in the morning, similar to what I do now. Volunteering where? At QPR, QPR right, okay. Yeah, I, I did a week. I, 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 for about four months, I did a minimum of 20 hours a week, 15 to 20 hours a week volunteering and would then do one-to-one -one tuition. I would do supply teaching, freelance with show racism, a red card in between to get enough money to get by. And that allowed me to understand the, the club philosophy, what Chris is looking for from his coaches, 
how all the departments interlink, what an academy environment looks like. What it also allowed me to do was to, to have a look at my areas in terms of, okay, well, what, what can I offer and what is it that I know that I need to upskill myself and work on? Now, what helped was prior QPR, the connections that I'd made through being in it when I was in full-time education and, and, and the transition of coming out of it with county FAs and some of the people within it. So, for example, Alex Welsh at the time when he was at London FA and, and Matthew Joseph, who's, who's currently at the FA, but that, that was instrumental because they guided me and signposted me to, to, to people and networks that I was very unfamiliar with. And what drew me, I guess, to, to them was an element of being open, asking questions, and you almost also have, have a niche because you've got something else that you can offer. And that's where my, I, get my, my, I, I always lean on you know, the, the, my, my background and experiences because if you can show that that's transferable and show that you, you're, you're, you have an open mindset, you're willing to learn and you understand, you're humble enough to know where you are in your journey and what you need to upskill yourself on, you're almost partway there. Then you need an opportunity. So football being a small world, Chris knew Alex. Chris knows Matty. And that almost also helped because when, when Chris said to me four months later, we've had a change of staff, you're going to be starting with the under nines part time. It was okay, Chris, if you need to speak to Alex as a reference, I've spoken to him and he said no problem. And Chris said, no, that's fine. I, you know, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, no, that not as in I don't need to speak to Alex, but he trusts he trusts his own judgment because I'd been there for a, a number of months volunteering, but also the fact that he trusts the judgment of, of a network that is so small, you know, because it is football's a very small network. So I think how you conduct yourself, how you how you speak to people is really important. And that was that. Started with the under nines, and then did the under nines again the second season. Then an, an opportunity came up with the Premier League ECAS programme. So the club asked me, Alex Carroll, Academy Director, and Chris asked if I'd be interested if they applied on my behalf. Because if I got on the programme, it, it'd allow me to be full-time. Which programme was this? The ECAS, did you say? Yeah, it's the Premier League ECAS programme. So it funds, that, that funds my job. What does ECAS stand for? Sorry. Uh, the Elite, Elite Coach Apprenticeship Scheme. Right, cool. Funny enough, I'd actually applied for ECAS just before I started to volunteer at QPR and didn't get on it. So again, it, we're talking about signposting a network. Um, it was through Riz Rahman at the PFA, uh, Zesh Rahman's brother, who, who phoned me and said, look, um, part of his remit was, was signposting and looking at those from Black Asian minority ethnic backgrounds who had the prerequisites and the qualifications who could potentially apply. I went through the inter- got through to interview and the feedback I was given was that you actually need to gain a little bit more experience at club level. Went away and gained the experiences that I could. And this time where QPR applied on my behalf, and then again, I went to interview. The differences were that I was able to present with a lot more confidence. I'd taken heed of you know, the, the, the feedback that I was given. I, I felt that I was more ready because I'd been in the environment and I was able to articulate firmness I guess club philosophy how I'm able to help develop the players within within our de- development pyramid at the club the other experiences that I gained and that led me to, to to gain the placement and that placement puts me on a four put you on a four-year contract so you, that then helped me get my full-time job and Chris and Alex felt that because there was also look, we talked about opportunities so there was also a changeover in staff that um, that then led me to become lead foundation phase so you're almost um, going, 
so I think about my teaching career within the 10 years I'd almost got to the say the pinnacle of did my trainee headship was with qualification wise ready to be ahead probably I don't think emotionally you know I probably needed to have a, a couple more years maybe as a deputy but in in in, in the academy I've, I've been in the i'll be coming into my fifth season so it's 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 quite short i'm still quite i'd say you know i, I feel i have enough experience but you know it, it's still not four four to five seasons it's still relatively young within the academy game but what i did have um, and do have are other skills and experiences that lend itself to my job and, and that's one of the things i always when i speak i always say that what's really important is as you go back to um what is it you can offer do you have the prerequisites when jobs become available? You need opportunities and you need people to signpost you. Because unless you have that, um, it doesn't matter whether you have qualifications or not. You know, if I didn't have Alex signposting me to, to experiences, if I didn't have Matthew Joseph or, you know, or Peter Augustine and, and, and people who work for clubs and counties, if I didn't have that, um, it'd be really difficult. If I didn't have someone like Chris Ramsey and Les Ferdinand and, and have a club where from the strategic level right the way down where it's diverse and it's not tokenism people get appointed on being the best at what they can do for me it wasn't the case that i was the best under nines coach or i was the best coach what chris did see was that i knew the philosophy uh, i understood what he wanted me to coach and he could uh, i was coachable and he could help i was open to learning and he could help me get better and I had the and I had the prerequisites with regards to qualifications. But what I was also able to do with my full sorry with my full time job was my full time job is about overseeing a department. I'd been a deputy in my last role, and I had my trainee headship, you know, and I had a master's in leadership. So those skills I could marry and amalgamate and transfer into this into this job. But where I was, uh, what I understood was I needed to be better and. And continue to learn the environment so I can navigate myself through an environment that's so different to education. I'm used to managing women. Primary education was very female heavy. This is the complete opposite. You know, it's there's been many challenges because in all 92 clubs, I'm the only person of Asian heritage, male or female, full time doing the job that I'm doing. Then I'd be the only Asian female doing the job that I'm doing. And then there's probably only one other female in all 92 clubs who's a lead phase so on the back of that you're all you're a minority within this majority group then you've got the dynamics of not played the game as a pro you know i'm coming from an, another environment that's very different in fact polar opposite you know you you've got the fact that you've got people who've been in the environment a lot longer than you and it can be perceived that who are you you've been in there two minutes and already now from part-time two seasons you're now leading a department so I have to also be, you know, look at myself and think, actually, I have to recognize that. Now, I'm not saying that that's right, but I do have to recognize it. I also have somebody who has trust in me, who's in a position of influence and power, has taken me on as, as one of his. He, 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 he sees that I've got, I've got potential and um, has taken me on as a project, just like he would do with the players. And for me, it's I honor that, which is why, actually, I don't have to go in at 10 o'clock or a half 10, because my day's quite long. So really i could you, you could you, your day could start at half 12 because you work till about eight nine i go in because i don't want to let chris down or alexander people who invest in time in me you know it allows me an opportunity to, to learn and and to try and upskill myself in an environment that i still feel i'm relatively new in 
Okay, I mean, you, you say you've been doing it for five years. I think in many industries, by five years, you'd be well established by now. So how much of that do you think is down to you? I've got the phrase in the back of my head, like imposter syndrome, but I'm not saying it's that necessarily. And how much is it to do with football and the establishment? You need the motivations within yourself to want to be a good learner and want to get better and want to develop. But you also need an opportunity and you need people to help you, particularly where it's an unfamiliar environment. And then with the unfamiliarity, you've got the element of you being a minority. So in gender and, you know, obviously, and in ethnicity. So you need you need people around you that can help you unless you have that. Like I said, that it doesn't matter whether you have the qualifications or not. And, and it's no secret. I, I think that, you know, we, the reason we need some of these initiatives at the moment is because we don't have transparency. If, if there was transparency in recruitment processes, then we wouldn't be in the scenario that we're in. You know, and, that, and the other thing as well is that you think about football, then what, you look at my job. So my type of job, let's say argument, you've got 92 of those. If 92 jobs are taken, now you have to think, what else can you do? Because there aren't, so first of all, it's, there aren't that many full-time jobs in my type of job. Then you've got to think, okay, well, well what else can I, what else, what else is there available? Then you've got to think, right, if I'm from a minority group, we know that they're being disadvantaged. We know that. If already we're saying that there aren't that many jobs and there's a real lack of opportunity for people from minority groups, if those people have the qualifications and would be the best people for the jobs, we know that they're still not getting those jobs. We know that. So I think unless you have so this, so for example, the ECAS program, now I know that that wasn't tokenism and I can say that with confidence because I was already at the club. I had the academy director and, and the technical director asking if it would be something that I'm interested in. So I know that had they not had trust and belief in me, they wouldn't have approached me about it. What the program does do is almost it, it gives you a job because it gives you a paid placement. But what we then have to do is look at, OK, well, what happens after four years? Now you've got other initiatives which don't necessarily give you a job. What they do is that, yes, I think that they provide visibility. They give you experience within an environment. You know, you go on a placement and, and if you're made to feel like the spare part, you know, just on the side and you're and you have the same qualifications as somebody else. Of course, you're going to have your own frustrations around, well, hold on a minute, why aren't I just getting treated with the same level of fairness as somebody else, particularly when these jobs arise? So I think that you do need overhaul at the moment. Unless you have radical change, the people who are in the jobs will remain in the job. That will not open out jobs for people like myself and other people of, from minority backgrounds, because there aren't that many jobs to begin with. You're at smaller clubs like mine, for instance, at QPR, we've got within our coaching department, three full-time members of staff. Now that looks very different to if you go to clubs with um, a different structure, such as Man City or Chelsea or Arsenal, where they have full-time age group coaches. We just don't have the capacity for that. So if you're at the smaller clubs, you actually don't have that many people anyway. And if you're at the bigger clubs, you know, a lot of people have said that is what are the chances of even if you're a minority, what are the chances of even getting a role uh, at some of those clubs? So I think that there needs to be, my personal opinion, I think that there does need to be overhaul because unless, unless you have people like Chris Ramsey, like Les Ferdinand, who are open and visionary and forward thinking, like Alex Carroll, our academy director, that there's a, there's a real lack of fairness in opportunity. So how does that change happen? Is there an easy way that people are refusing to see or look at or 
is it more complicated than that? I, I think, look, I, I do, I think it's, it, it's a little, I don't think it's clear cut because like I said, what you've got is you've got a case where people are in jobs. And so you take the, the example with, the, with, with Sky, you've got people in jobs. So that look, would look no different to coaching. If you've got people in jobs already, unless you sack people, that's not going to open up a job for somebody else. So what needs to happen is there needs to be fairness with regards to recruitment. So if jobs come, become available, people move on and jobs, these jobs become available, people from minority backgrounds who are qualified and are just as good as, as anybody else are now signposted to these roles. Not to say that they will get the roles, but at least be signposted. Do you think an equivalent of the Rooney rule needs to be needs to go further down clubs and not just I know the EFL has it for managerial appointments, but do you think it needs to go further down towards coaching? Yeah, they've already is that said the wrong approach? No, they've already said that's already in talk with regards to coaching. It what we have to remember is is just because look, I think it's a start, but you know, if you've got if you've if you've got a quota, all right, 30% of BAME people need to be interviewed you might get interviewed for the sake of the quota that doesn't solve the problem so like i said that there needs to it just really what you're asking for the decision makers who are the people who have the influence to create this change and these people are the ones who can um employ people like myself they need to they need to show a little bit more integrity and be more open-minded with regards to the recruitment processes now because we know like i said that You've got people in jobs already. And so when you look at it, in, in, in many cases, it's not as diverse as it could be. So what we need is when these jobs do become available and people move on, you need people signposting the most, pro, you know, the, the best candidates from those minority groups to those jobs. And then they need to be treated on a level playing field as anybody else. And it is, you need overhaul because how long has, how, long, how many years have these conversations been happening for? People from minority backgrounds don't just want to be somebody who's on the side watching somebody else, especially when they have the same qualifications. Now, look, what those placements do, like I said, ECAS is slightly different because it's, it, it, you, you've got a job. Um, the, only the consideration is, is what you want to do is be in a position where the club keeps you on, you know, when your four years finishes. You, that's, you want to be in that, in that position. But where you've got placements where, you know, you, you go and volunteer and you go and observe, Yes, I agree. What they do is they give you a foot in through the door. But what then needs to happen is if you are that person that's done this placement, you've gained experience of what an academy looks like, you know, when jobs become available, that's a cohort that needs to be signposted to those jobs. So someone needs to be doing that because otherwise, what are you preparing them for? Are you just preparing them to volunteer for eight months? I think Manisha, Manisha's, I think Manisha's hit the nail on the head. I mean, everything that she said about recruitment as well has been spot on. These jobs are filled at the moment, but when they do become available, because of the nature of football, especially at the highest level, it's it's so um, it's it's a very closed industry in terms of recruitment processes, and there's a lot of nepotism that goes on as well. Infiltrating, or I was I say infiltrating very lightly, but getting ethnic minorities into positions is so challenging because there is so much nepotism. Um, and I think, Manisha, you said there about recruitment processes and filling those jobs and having those quotas. We don't want a case of just giving BAME individuals or women um, these interviews just to fill or tick those FA boxes. We want to seriously be giving these individuals these interviews and these positions because 
they are qualified like yourself and they've done the relevant experience to get those jobs so that they can thrive. And then slowly that will give future yeah, generations. Yeah, definitely, the definitely I agree. Roles. Because I, I do agree with the element of visibility, because unless you have people that look similar to you, you don't see it as a viable route. However, I feel now, particularly at grassroots level, we've got a lot of visibility. You've got a, an increase in participation from those from black asian and minority ethnic groups you've also got good coaches who are from those groups who are not even in the looking or the running to get some of these managerial positions like you think about somebody like michael johnson for example who had to go to the other side of the world when he got the role and good on him the the, the role for the gun eight and the national team role but why why was that not an option for him in this country england's a very unique in my this is my opinion anyway i mean i think the managerial situation in the uk especially at the elite level in terms of coaching it's it's very different to any other country out there because it seems to be a merry-go-round of managers in this country who seem to keep getting the same job. So you look at the Premier League with like Alan Pardew or Sam Allardyce. It just seems to me that people or clubs choose managers who have a proven track record. But the problem that you've got with that, especially for BAME individuals, is, is that how do we then get our opportunities if they keep picking the same people? How do we inflict that change? And that's where I feel that there needs to be, you know, with, within recruitment, that if you if you are creating if you're an all governing body and you are creating these projects and initiatives to help redress the balance then you need to make sure you know what you're preparing that cohort for and that cohort then need to be signposted to something otherwise you're investing a lot of money in something that has no purpose other than the fact that you've you've hit a quota and and people from the you know they don't want they don't just want to be a quota because what we're now saying is is actually we are going we are doing the groundwork we are getting the qualifications we just need to be treated within the same level playing field as anybody else so if we're having to go through the process of going on all these courses if i'm now prepared to be to, to be able to work within these elite environments i need somebody signposting me saying actually oh Manish, you know but jobs come up over here jobs come up over there because otherwise there's no point you just we just keep continuing to have these courses and and i just think that you've got a whole you're going to you're missing a whole generation of people who would have gone through the process have to work 10 times harder than anybody else have got the experiences got the qualifications but like you said because of the merry-go-round the same people then get the job and, and there's a real lack of transparency and, and a real lack of fairness yeah i think i think you're spot on with the with the lack of transparency in football it's it's certainly an issue that's been brought up you know in the forums and the conversations around um increasing diversity in, in especially in football it does happen in other industries and other sports but particularly in football because of the way that you know the football league and the fa is structured i mean I, i'm speaking from my own personal experience i mean i've been involved in in academy football and professional football since the age of nine have a wealth of experiences as a player and i'm trying to gain a full-time role at a club so i've been doing a lot of voluntary work but every time i apply for a full-time position nine times out of ten i know that there hasn't been someone with my qualifications who has played the sport to my level so i feel like in that sense i have more competency but then i don't get the role so then it makes me question myself as to whether okay maybe i need to 
like you did, go away and get more qualifications or more experience to then apply again. But because I never get feedback or I never know the process of recruitment, I don't know where I'm going wrong or if there are barriers in my way. So I can never address the issue. We talk about, you know, network and having people who can guide and help you and mentorship. So that's where, fortunately, I guess that that's helped me because what I've been able to do is to lean on them and, and constantly be a best. People laugh when I say, but I man marked Chris when, when I came in and, and, and volunteered. <laughs> like wherever he went, I, I was, you know, and I, I'm really small. Like I'm only four foot nine. I was just this like, like a little mouse, just, just scurrying around, following him everywhere I'd, with my notepad, writing down what he says, how he says it, who, who he says it to, what meetings he's going in, if I'm allowed in them. Things that other people would say, like the senior members of staff. But you, need, you do need people who, do you know, that you can approach and then you can ask them. People who are experienced in, in that field and have, have perhaps gone through it with, okay, well, what do I need to do? No, no difference. So I guess when I, when I didn't go on the, get on the ECAS the first time, First thing, when I got the email back, I emailed back. So when I got the email from them, emailed them back and I said, no problem. What do I need to do? Because for me, that's all I need to know. Tell me what I need to do and I'll go and do it. Because if you then go away and do those things that they've asked you to do, whoever it might be, and then you come back and you present yourself and you still don't get the job, then you may want to start asking some questions. Okay, You said, I need to get this qualification. I need to do this. I need to do that. I've gone away and done that. But what, what's also frustrating is that we know, as people from minority backgrounds, people who are non-BAME don't have to do that. Mm. So there, there's also an element of, hold on a minute, that, you know, there are many people that I know don't, ha- don't have to go through the, the processes that, that unfortunately we have to go through and have the fight and the struggle that, that we have. You know, and that's where I talk about, you know, in terms of the unfairness, there's so much to dissect and unpick that I just think at the moment there needs to be overhaul where unless these jobs become available, you haven't got jobs. So who do you think needs to take responsibility for that? Because we've already identified that all the football clubs and there's different people in power. There's the FA, the Premier League, the EFL, three distinct organisations and grassroots then comes under the county FAs. So you need, but that's, you know, with, 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 with the overhaul, it does, it's the governing bodies because the governing bodies can, can put in place certain, um, certain actions. Um, so like, for example, an equivalent to the Rooney Rule being one of them, quotas being one of them. These, we've got these, we've got a number of initiatives now in, in football. And like I said, that I do think they serve a purpose and I think that it's important. But my only reservation is that i'm i'm asking the question of what purpose are they serving other than giving someone a foot in through the door which is important giving someone actual hands-on experience of an academy as long as it's organized in the appropriate way where the person isn't a spare part and just watching that they're actively involved in in the whole process and just you know and and a valued member of staff not just somebody who's seen as oh you're on a placement and I don't want you coaching the players what happens next that's what that for, for me that it's that it's what happens next because unless you're on a program like mine which gives you a four-year contract what happens after the four years you want to be you like and then I think okay do I I also have a responsibility in making sure that I'm credible and I've developed so that I'm in a position where I can get treated with the same level of fairness as somebody else. That's what you hope for. So for me, that's now what I'm going to hope for, because I'd like to think that by the time I finish ECAS, I would have 
been in the academy six years. So I'd like to think that I have enough credibility and experience that if for any reason the club doesn't keep me on, that I have enough to be able, enough experiences to be able to take that somewhere else. So what I hope for is that there's honesty and there's there's transparency. Whereas at the moment, I don't feel that I don't feel that there is. And I'll go back to the same thing that I said before. What's really challenging is that we have jobs that are already taken. What we need to do is make sure that when the jobs now become available, coaches who are who are black, Asian and from minority groups are signposted to those jobs. That's what we need. And then you can gradually what you can gradually then do is as you start, you know, you, you can then hopefully start diversifying the workforce. Yeah, I think I think you smashed it there, to be fair. I was going to ask as well, and I think it would be worth just for people listening. You've obviously been very fortunate to um, have the contacts like Chris, uh, Chris Ramsey at QPR, for example. But you've obviously worked on that relationship and built that relationship with him. As a minority, how would you go about building these relationships and networking? Is there is there a secret to your uh, to your success? I wouldn't say that there's a secret. I think it's a very competitive industry. I, I've been in a position where, for example, because of my home situation with my brother, I I live at home. I don't have responsibilities that other people may have with regards to, you know, I don't have kids and, and my own family in that, that regard. I also personally have flexibility within my, my timetable. So what I'm able to do is both financially and as a person, I can go out and seek opportunities quite readily. You know, of course, we've got, I've got caring responsibilities and it, you know, and it, let's say within the structure of my household. You've also got to look at what's difficult is to go and get these experiences because it's such a, it's a competitive market anyway. It's, it's quite saturated now, I think, as well. Um, you've got a lot of coaches getting qualified and there aren't that many jobs that you can go and get in the programme, particularly full-time jobs. To get your foot in through the door, you need to be able to connect with the right people. So it's how do you go about that? Like I said, because of my time, what I was able to do was uh, early on, when I was linking in with county FAs, what I did was just find out when they had networking events and I would go to most of them and start getting myself familiarised with who's in football. Now, what helped was particularly early on, people found that me coming from my, my educational background was quite unique. So that then opened other doors for me. So as an example, um, Alex Welsh had introduced me to John Bayer, who was Arsenal Women's Technical Director at that time. Now, what that did was open up a conversation with Shirley Askew, who is head of education at Arsenal, because what Alex said to me was, a route for you might be education. But had I not connected with Alex when I was doing my level one and my level two coaching badge, and had Alex not seen that I, I'm open to learning, I want to learn, I'm humble enough to say I'm not really good at this, I'm, I'm half all right at that bit. But he also saw that I could bring something else, which was the fact that I understood child development I understood learning and development purely because that was my that was my background where I was coming from. Had I not had those experiences and something something that I could transfer, that wouldn't have opened up conversations with other people who then became intrigued with, oh, is that what you were doing before? Oh, it wouldn't it wouldn't have done that. And then they started to connect me. So then, for example, that conversation with John then got me to think about, oh, hold on a minute, it might education could be a role for me too if that's something I want to consider but what it also did was John allowed me to come into Arsenal Women and, and observe sessions so whenever I could I was then just on the side made sure I didn't interfere and would just watch some of the some of the sessions there 
that then led me to connect with Middlesex. I then had another connection with Middlesex County FA. Oh, Manisha, we don't have jobs, but come in. I said, no problem. I want to watch. Don't worry about the job. Let me just come in and watch. Then that then led to jobs. So you do have to get yourself out there. You do have to connect. You've also got to consider what else can you bring because it's such a saturated market. So what makes you say different? Why would, why, why why you over somebody else? So if you've got a UA for B and so, so does somebody else have a UA for B, what else can draw you to being the person who's right for that role or good for that role? What else can you offer? How else can you be versatile? And you just have to be very persistent and, and resilient. Because like I said, you know, as much as people might be listening, thinking, you know, that, oh, but it's okay. She had, she had Chris and she, she developed all these contacts and she was able to network. But we also have to remember that I'm the only one doing my job in all 92 clubs. So that, it, that's not really, that's really hard because you have to, you are getting judged on the back of what you look like most of the time. So you, you have to show that you've got a little bit of bite about you. You can hold your ground. You have to be very bold and resilient. And you have to show that and prove your knowledge as opposed to many other people who don't have to do that. You know, obviously it's different now, but in the first couple of seasons, whenever we had games, I'd be the one that people would think I'm making the team. And you have to, you know, you've almost got to really be bold in saying, actually, you, you can go and get teas over in the, in the canteen, no problem. Um, I'm in charge today. And you're having to say, you're actually having to, to give out your title to prove that, hold on a minute, I'm not, actually not the physio and I'm not the person who makes the teas. It's, it's really inspiring to just listen to you because a, a lot of people just assume, you know, you don't get these roles because of not just race, but other other biases and factors that, that we get overlooked for. But when you look through your CV, I mean, you've obviously got all the coaching badges, you've done the mental health work at Wingate and Finchley, you've got the UFB, you know, you've played the game when you were a youth back in, back in 1989. You've got all of the background and competency, which has led up to the point where you are now. I think people listening might look at you and say, oh, well, she's in the position she is now because she had the contacts. But actually, you've been working on this for, for years to be in the position that you're in, which is the reason why you've been uh, successful, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely the, the message that I want to, to give that, look, yes, I've been fortunate that I've been able to develop these contacts, but I've been able to develop the contacts through me being proactive and then working and volunteering on, on a number of projects and also being humble enough to say, look, I was a deputy head and I was on it. I had no reason financially to take a significant pay cut, but I did. And I made a choice to do that. But what I also understood when I was then the person who was going in and covering another teacher's TPA cover, I was no longer the deputy. I was now the, the coach who would just go in for the two hours, do the afternoon session, give feedback to the teacher and the person I was working for. And that's it. And leave. That, you know, it's also being humble enough to know, actually, now I'm, I knew I had to almost reinvent myself, build another career. And it's taken me from 2011 to, to now. So that's almost, so I did, edu- so I was full-time education from 2001 to 2011. From 2011 to, to now, only now do I feel that, right, I'm coming into my fifth season at the academy, I feel that I'm in a better position to understand academy processes, well, our academy processes and, and, and how things work. I've been able to network with people at other clubs in, in the duration of that time. But to build up to that, it's been a lot of, been a lot of work. 
you know, you have to put yourself out there. I still still volunteer now just because of the nature of it's a competitive environment. And, and then what you do is you need to have, of course, you need to have the qualifications to go with it. But I'm very much about readiness. Like I said, I didn't, you know, from level two, it wasn't a case of oh, I went straight to my B license. It was it was a five years. Only last year I passed my advanced youth award, and I'm now on my you know only now I'm on my A license. You know, last last year I applied for my A license, and Chris called BFA and said don't put her on it. And Chris knew that I was applying because obviously he gave me a reference. But he, wow. but that's what I lo- you know what I really like about him is he's very honest, and I know that he's hard with me, but he's hard with everybody. You know, so people might think oh he's he's anyone who knows Chris Ramsey will know that. He will want the best for you, just like he wants the best for the players. If he knows that you're willing to listen and you're willing to learn, he will try his very best to help you succeed. Because he sees it as also, he doesn't want to fail. And equally, I don't want to fail. So he, he's, he's harsh. So he could have easily have said, yeah, put her on it. And he said to me, no, you're not ready. But I wanted you to apply, put your hat in the ring, but you're not ready for it. He goes, right, this is what you need to do. He goes, you're not ready to go on it yet. And I was also finishing, finishing off ECAS. You know, so ECAS is a, two, it's a, you get, it's a four year program, but a two year diploma. I've now finished, you know, finishing, I've now finished the dip- diploma, but it was also a better time for me to start the A license this year. But this time I feel like, uh, I feel a lot more confident and I, and I know he was right. He was right. I wouldn't have been ready last year. And what he did was help me put together a program in terms of, right, this is what you're going to need to do. That was it. And that, for me, that was right. If you're saying that I need to do this and you're somebody who I respect and regard as a, as a developer, I'm going to take heed of what you're saying. So it's not just, you know, connections is one thing, but you have to be really open. Like I said, you have to show what else you can bring to the table, be versatile, be, be, be very rounded. You could almost put yourself into numerous roles as opposed to yeah. just one. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the key message as well is being able to bring more to the table than just what the job description yeah. requires, right? I mean, I think through your experiences, you probably built a good knowledge base of how to deal with players, um, how to put on sessions to engage different individuals and hard hard to reach people, and even through the mental health side of things as well. You, you, I'm sure you've got some competency in recognizing or dealing with mental health which is obviously a massive thing in the game now which also adds to your uh, repertoire yeah definitely and I always say this that not through me being a trained expert and a psychologist or a psychotherapist but also um, being a mm. primary school teacher a lot of our work was around teaching personal social and health education because I didn't specialize in PE as a primary school teacher I taught all subjects so you know you like so you build a toolbox of other things but particularly around mental health and well-being what I've been able to offer is understanding around one how children learn uh, how children develop but also looking at some of the psychosocial factors and, and well-being one of them so Manisha can I just ask in terms of I guess a final question what what do you think is next for you slightly longer term in the next five to ten years what would success or what would your ambitions where would you like them to take you I'd like to um gone through and successfully passed my A license journey. I would like to be in a role at the a strategic operational role. So be it assistant academy manager or, or academy manager, that type of role. And that could be in a club or that could be, you know, at the Premier League or a governing body. But 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 that type of role is what I would like. And and one of the other things I have an ambition to do also is I, I love working in the development arena. I feel I'm, I'm I don't have an ambition of being a first team 
manager um, yet. My, I am developed, I am passionate about working with the youth age group. And one of the things that I'd like to have an opportunity to do is to be in and around the um, England girls youth camp and maybe one day be, be involved because I, I do, I, you know, I don't want to leave I love working with, with players um, and, and the coaching, but I recognise where my strengths are So um, in the next five to ten years, but also being able to work in, in the development arena, but with national players. <laughs>